Okay, we're all in take five. Horror headlines brought to you by Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment. And new Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Hook Em Up, 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Oh man, Hook Em Up with Ian Rod B rolls on. Bottom of the hour will be halfway through our five-hour Thursday conversation. That means we'll be at the turn. We'll hear more from Tiger Woods ahead of his uh, opening round of Riviera today. Talking about the uh, riff in golf right now. PGA Tour and live. Of course, uh, Tiger, one of the absolute leaders of the PGA Tour and staunch advocate for the PGA Tour on the committee there, uh, Players Committee. Uh, he was asked about uh, the possible bridge back to the PGA Tour at some point. Uh, Tiger did say this week, Rod, that uh, – you know, he doesn't think they need the PIF, the uh, public you know, investment fund of the Saudis. They, he doesn't think they need the money on the PGA Tour. They're, they're, they're good to go with the new deal that they have. But you know, that was Tiger's opinion. Uh, but then you got to mend some fences potentially. But they're still, I mean, they're still going collaborating, right, with the PIF. And, yeah, and, at some yeah. level, but nothing's been agreed to yeah. at this point. And to, but it was Tiger. I mean, when Tiger Woods speaks, people listen. He said, hey, "We don't. Of I don't course. think we need their money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're good." Uh, but at the same time, then you've got to figure out how to, you know. Bridge yep. the gaps, and even Tiger would tell you there's more questions than answers still on how that all works. And we'll hear from him coming up. Also, Rod will take us behind the BOC, as he does every hour, every uh, morning in our 8 o'clock hour. The burn orange curtain as the Longhorns start eyeing the combine in their offseason. Also get to some off-the-record conversations before the end of the hour. And I may actually see if I can find this, Rod. Uh, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey yesterday, before the tragedy at the parade, singing a drunken version of Friends in Low Places. Uh, <laughs> I bet that was pretty good. It was actually uh, pretty bad. Uh, oh well, so good. It was so so bad. It was good. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yes. Um, no, that's pretty funny. That's pretty good. I like that. Um, also, you know, we, we were talking earlier about the Cowboys and Mike Zimmer putting together his coaching staff. You played the audio of him actually at the podium getting a call from an apparently a, a candidate to join his coaching staff. He didn't say who he was, but he said it was somebody looking for a job. I'm serious about this now. I brought it up a couple of times, but the more I think about it, the more I think it's worth it. They should bring in Steve Wilkes. They should. Who just got let go, and we'll have that in our lead story coming up in the headline. Yes. Find a spot for him because one thing he knows is that 49er defense, and he's probably motivated um, because he's probably a little insulted by the way things went down and wrong with that, but at least he can give you inside info. And right now that division is just full of – a lot of incestuous insider information <laughs> between what Dan Quinn knows and Kellen Moore knows and everybody seems to know each other really well. And that's good, though. I mean, there's no advantage either way. But uh, the full, if you're talking about you know, getting out of the NFC and representing the NFC in the Super Bowl, which is, I think, the ultimate goal for the Cowboys, you might have to go through San Fran. And you might need people that know. You probably will have to go through San right? Fran. You almost assume it. You almost assume it. And you need people that know San Fran's defense or at least know those sides of the ball. That guy, he Wilkes, is a good coach, but he also knows San Fran really well. As a matter of fact, he just coordinated the damn defense in the Super Bowl. So I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, it is interesting. And obviously Kyle Shanahan's getting a lot of criticism for it. Because, I mean, the criticism. Niners finished third in scoring defense in the league. They held Patrick Mahomes to 19 points in regulation of the playoff game. And, um, you know, did had a good game plan. You know, yeah. as we said, it wasn't, he can't control the Dre Greenlaw. His best linebacker, one of his best players, gets hurt. 
Um, yeah. So, but, but you know, as we said, you said this was this was brewing all season long. Yeah, and you can you can argue that maybe you know Steve Wilkes didn't deserve to be fired either way, uh, but this was not an overreaction to the Super Bowl. This is not somebody say he's scapegoating Steve Wilkes. He's not scapegoating Steve Wilkes. From what I understand, this was something that was frustratingly coming to a crescendo during the season. And he just didn't like, and he said this, he didn't like the the lack of coordination um, on the part of Steve Wilkes when it comes to coordinating the coverages with the fronts and the pressure packages. And honestly, the truth is, Steve Wilkes, I, I, listen, I think he did a good job in the Bowl, but his defenses were not very – uh, they were not very creative, and they were very static. I'll give you a number because I was studying this defense, uh, obviously, before the Super Bowl. And, guys, if you go look at this, uh, this, this, what Steve Wilkes did in this defense, they were basically 31st in, if you go look at blitz rate. So they were last in the NFL when it came to the, the blitz rate. They didn't blitz a lot. Uh, if you go look at the pre-snap rotations, pre-snap disguise of the safeties like how often they went from too high to 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 too high to single high pre-snap just trying to confuse opposing quarterbacks they were also 31st in the nfl in their uh third sorry 32nd in pre-snap rotation and movement and if you go look at defensive line twists and stunts, I talk about this all the time with dan quinn that dan quinn loved to confuse blocking schemes with twists and stunts up front they were 28th they were very very static what you saw is what you got from the 49ers all the time. That is not how you play modern defense. Modern defense is all about distortion, deception, um, giving a, a different pre-snap look and feel than the post-snap look and feel so that quarterbacks must process more pre-snap and post-snap. If you played the 49ers, you did not have to process a lot. And that made job and made you know made it easier to to expose that defense, I think, later on. And I told you guys about the edges. They were giving up six yards per rush off the edge um, on perimeter runs. That's no reason for a team with a Bosa and a Chase Young at the at your DN to be giving up those kind of numbers on the edge. So just little things like that, that I think are were bothering uh, Shannon about the defense. Sure. Uh, look, I'll give Shanahan more credit while he's being criticized. You know, knowing you're going to get a backlash like he's getting uh, because people are blaming him for the loss, right? Yeah, he, of course. Uh, and, you know, another blown lead. and uh, Buck stopped there. Uh, but, you know, if you know moving forward as the leader of the, t- of the organization that you you don't want to work with this guy, right? You don't, you, you're not just going to swallow it just because of, uh, you know, whatever happened in the Super Bowl. You're doing what you think is best for the organization. Because uh, there are, you know, a lot of owners, a lot of coaches that would say, "Oh man, I'm not. The timing's not right here. I, I, I got to stick with this guy, uh, even though you don't want to, right? Because it's a season-long thing. It's yep. not just this one game. And in, in that one game, he had a pretty good game plan. He really did. But uh, it's a season process, and you know, if it's not the right person that you're going to coexist with, mm-hmm. is the single most important coach on your staff. Um, you know, if you're the offense coordinator, the defense coordinator becomes your most important uh, ally in this fight. Uh, you got to work together then you can understand that. And you're right. I don't disagree with you at all. The Cowboys should call Steve Wilkes and, uh, you know, assistant head coach, co-defensive, whatever Dan exactly. Mike Zimmer wants to call him. Yep. Um, and bring a lot of experience and uh, another another set of eyes and, mm-hmm. yes, some knowledge of that San Francisco system for sure on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Hey, let's get to the other headlines, trending topics to start this uh, 8 o'clock hour. Top Gun Reynolds and a lot of equipment bring it to you. Yeah, as we said, the NFL on the same day the Chiefs announced their – 
contract extension for their defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnuolo. 49ers said goodbye to Steve Wilkes, their defensive coordinator. I've been there one year, took over for D'Amico Ryans. He is now out. Up in Dallas, Mule Cowboys officially introduced Mike Zimmer to be their new head of their defense at a press conference. Uh, team also announced their current defensive backs coach, Al Harris, is being retained as part of Mike Zimmer's staff. College Hoops, how about the fifth-ranked Texas Longhorn women? Now five in a row they won. They beat Houston last night, 82-66. Madison Booker uh, once again led the way. The fabulous freshman, 23.7 boards. Deanna Gaston had 21 points, 8 rebounds. Uh, they're now 23-3 overall, 10-3 in the Big 12. We told you, for the first time in five years, Texas men aren't playing a midweek game between Saturday contests of the Big 12. Uh, looking to certainly make the most of a little extra rest in the middle of the Big 12 meat grinder. Uh, maybe a little extra prep to get ready for a real big one. Maybe their toughest road contest of the year on the road at Houston. Third-ranked team in the country Saturday afternoon at noon. In the NBA, Texas Trio in action for the final time ahead of the All-Star break. Dallas beat the Spurs up in uh, Dallas yesterday or last night, 116-93. Kyrie Irving led the way with 34. Rockets lost in Memphis, 121-116. In NASCAR, Joey Logano earned the pole for this Sunday's Super Bowl of Racing, the Daytona 500, and qualifying last night. And as we said, in golf, a star-studded field teeing off this morning in L.A. First round of the Gen Genesis Invitational at Riviera. It's the third signature event of the PGA Tour season, meaning nine of the ten top players in the world rankings, three lifetime Longhorns teeing it up this weekend, Bo Hossler, Scotty Scheffler, and Jordan Spieth, and oh yeah, a guy named Tiger Woods making his season debut. Horn headlines brought to you by Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment. A new year and a new store. Come see our new beauty location at 200 Trademark Drive to rent, buy, or repair any construction and lawn equipment you need. TopGun.net. We'll shoot you straight. It's crazy. We were just talking right after the Super Bowl about Steve Spagnola and how nobody says it, but you know the, the, the Chiefs not only have the best quarterback, best head coach, but also the best defensive coordinator in the game, and I think the best GM right now in football too. Then they and we were just talking about how he had gotten his head coaching opportunity early in his career, and it was a it was a terrible job, and it was a dysfunctional organization with the Rams at the time, and then he kind of reinvents himself as a defensive coordinator, and now is getting at least people having the conversation as to whether he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame just as a coordinator, yeah, because he's done such a great job coordinating those Giants defenses against those Patriots teams of 07 and 2011. And now, of course, with the Kansas City Chiefs, famously, you know, he's done an amazing job at their best defense since Andy Reid got there actually this year, holding opponents to, well, I think it was like a 16 points per game. I mean, it was just phenomenal. And if you go look at his, his really his um, timeline as a coach, and now obviously re-signing there to be their D.C., the two of the most important parts of his uh, development as a coach was actually his time away from the NFL. He's he spent two two stints, two separate stints of taking time away from the game, physically taking time away from the game as being a coach after he had been ousted and in between jobs. And reportedly, what he did was go study NF study with NFL films and, and Greg Cosell. Oh wow. Yeah, apparently Greg Cosell admitted, I'll send Ty that sound, um, that Greg Cosell uh, admitted, like, no, he came and studied with me. He basically just needed access to all the NFL film. <laughs> if you want access to all the NFL film, you go talk to Greg Cosell. And then Greg Cosell admitted that he's a huge um, Steve Spagnola fan. And apparently he became a huge Steve Spagnola fan when Spags, in between jobs, actually came uh, to NFL Films headquarters and st basically started studying the game. And once again, what, what I always say about being a you're, you're a football theorist, essentially when you're willing to become a student of the game again and study the game, study the trends, study the patterns, 
and um, he he's done that multiple times. And he also said that he studied. He went to study with Nick Saban, and went to go study with Urban Meyer wow. uh, in, in those stints when he had time off. The more you research Spags, uh, Steve Spagnuolo, the more you fall in love with him as a defensive coordinator. Um, I sent you that sound, Ty. You can try to dial that up uh, when you get a chance here. Uh, that, that sound is a, a great Cosell talking about. Uh, this is, I believe this is right after the Super Bowl. How he's, and this is before the Super Bowl, excuse me. But I found it after the Super Bowl of him saying, oh, no, Spags and I spent a lot of time together. So that's what I love about Spags. He's, the reason his concepts are so modern and the reason that they don't seem out of date and teams don't necessarily necessarily catch up to him they don't necessarily find out his uh his trends what his trends are and his tendencies are is because he changes them and he has made a point that when he has time off i think the last time was like that that he studied like that you know 2009 and 2011 he'll uh, right before andy reed hired him in 2016 whatever right before then he has these stints where he will just go study the game in depth uh college and the pro level and I think that's what keeps him so cutting edge. He really does. And that's why he's, his, his defenses are so modern and so confusing, so exotic. Um, and, Ty, I send it to you. You have that uh, sound of Greg Cosell ready, bro? I do. Uh, here is Greg Cosell talking about Spags' time with him at NFL Films. Yep. Um, well, talked to Spags for about half an hour on opening night. He's the best. Oh, man. Well, you know, because he watched tape with you for like a whole year before he got the Chiefs job. I learned, I mean, it's incredible the stuff you learn. Yeah, and And he speaks really highly of you as well. You know, you guys are kind of the dream team over here. But, you know, because I've known him for a long time since he was in Philly. Uh, That's when I met him. And, um, you know, he obviously felt comfortable the year he was out giving me a call and saying, hey, you know, because his wife's from Philly, so he was spending a lot of time in Philly. And, um, uh, you know, he said, hey, can I come in? And I'm, I'm like, what, of you course you me? can. Of course you, you can come in every day if you want. <laughs> whatever, <Yeah>. whatever. <laughs> uh, there you go. So it, I didn't know that about Spags either, but apparently multiple times that he, when he does have some time, and he's not going to have much time, obviously, because he just re-signed with the Chiefs. But in between jobs or something, guy goes back to become a student of the game. That's an intellectual curiosity. Not all coaches have that. They don't all have that. Yeah, they think they know it all. They think they know it all. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's arrogance. Yeah. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think uh, that's interesting that he hasn't gotten another head coaching opportunity. I know it was real bad when St. Louis when he did it, but maybe he's settled in. This is just what I want to do. I don't want to coach the whole team. I want to coach defense. Yep. Same I want that way. I want to stay on the forefront of defense because, you know, if he did, his agent could have his name out there. Yeah, yes. That's what an agent does. Totally agree. Especially now. Especially right now. Yeah, 100%. Uh, but, you know, clearly he's, he's happy with his role and does a hell of a job of it, and that's why we talked about you know, should he be in the Hall of Fame just as a coordinator? I don't, there's never happened before. Dick LeBeau is the one you mentioned that was the closest, but he was a player for he was a player, a great he player back in the first, day. Yeah. So um, this would be interesting. But look, I mean, his defenses have been unbelievable in the biggest games, and you know, helped win four or five Super Bowls now. So it's a fair argument. Good piece of uh, research right there. We were talking about uh, first six seasons for Patrick Mahomes because that was a debate and bullish or BS. Somebody with a really good text that says Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter's got to be in that conversation, guys. Won four rings in his first five complete years with the New York Yankees, and he was the captain. Now, they had great players on those teams. There's no doubt about it. But Derek Jeter was a a centerpiece of that. Uh, Now, Wayne Gretzky, you mentioned, Ron. Mm -hmm. Wayne Gretzky has to be in the conversation. Now, he didn't win a championship uh, in his first four or five years. But Wayne Gretzky won the MVP trophy in in hockey his first year and won it eight consecutive years. Won the MVP eight consecutive years, led the league in scoring seven consecutive years. Yeah. And then after his fifth year, won 
you know, four champ, four Stanley Cups over a four over a five year period, including twice back to back. So Gretzky would be up there, but yeah, the first five years, Jeter would be the only thing close that you could find in team sports, I think. Yeah, and but Gretzky but, was having the individual success, but they didn't have the players the team around success, him. And Jeter had the team success, but not all the individual accolades of, right. a, of a Gretzky or a Patrick. Yeah, so he, Patrick was a, he was a central, a central player on those teams, but, yeah, he wasn't. The MVP of the league. Right. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and Patrick Holmes is doing both. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can find you can find individual, and then you can find someone with the team achievements. They have both the way Patrick Holmes is doing it is just crazy. But I, I figured Wayne Gretzky had to have some – Freakish, because every time you hear Wayne Gretzky stats, it sounds like Will Chamberlain type accomplishments. Like he's just—he was so far better than everybody else in the league that wasn't even close. Yeah, he was uh, that he, much better than everybody, all of his peers. All of his peers. Well, you you show up in a league and win eight straight MVPs. Come on, man. <laughs> exactly. Come on, man. Like uh, yeah, because usually circles around people. Well, because usually the league doesn't want to do that, right? They the, 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 the media vote on that kind yeah. of stuff too. So they usually will look for the next thing. They'll look for a reason not to give it to a guy, you know, that many times. They'll look at MJ. MJ couldn't win it every time because they're like, all right, we so we got to need somebody else besides MJ to win this thing. So a lot of times MJ probably could have won the MVP. LeBron probably could have been it too, but they decided now nah, we need to meet some more variety here. Well, that's the thing about MJ, right? MJ, it took him a bit, right? He took six, seven seasons, eight seasons to start winning championships. And when he did, he run running off six and eight years. And that's the another reason why what we're seeing with Patrick Mahomes, you know, he's won off these this run of five years of unbelievable football in between, you know, 22 and 20, or 23 and 28 years old. It's not even 30 years. <laughs> I mean, that's the crazy part. That is the crazy so part. So he's a little bit Gretzky, a little bit Jeter, a um, little bit Jordan. Um, Brady. Uh, little Brady in there. Yeah, it's Brady had goats. early championships for it's sure. It's all the goats, man. He's because that's, that's it. it. It's 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 no longer just football. Again, this isn't his entire career. It's not not over yet. Not even close to over yet. It's really you know first five six years of a professional career in a team sport, and it's hard to hard to even. That's where he's crossing over to Rod. That's the he's becoming the. You know, you're having to cross into other 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 sports to find comparisons to this guy, which is uh, the adjectives run out. This says, uh, guys, Brosa and Chase Younger, why the Niners had a weak edge. They were too wrapped up in chasing the ball. I know. Quarterbacks to make their duties and take care of them. I know. Both, they, those two plays, those two plays by Mahomes where he ends up running the, running it and Casey keeping it on the uh, the quarterback keeper with the option, it, it they let Bosa go unblocked. Like they literally they just knew he would do it. They left him unblocked. Now I don't know if his, the, the the coaches informed him that anytime you're unblocked, you're crashing down, or if he just saw the red meat of the option and decided, all right, you know what, I'm crashing down. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but they oh, both of those big Mahomes runs, and one was on a fourth down. They just let him go. Like think about that. That's amazing. Right, think about the the, the the fortitude, the testicular fortitude. Oh, that's the, the current highest paid defensive player in the league. <laughs> <laughs> and you go go, you go let him. You, you believe the best strategy is to leave him unblocked. That's that is that is meticulous film study to know. No, we leave him unblocked because we leave him unblocked. He's crashing. He crashes down ninety five percent of the time when he's unblocked. He can't help himself. He's a, he's a he's a critical He's, a, play, he's a pit bull going out the red meat. He can't help himself. And that's exactly what they did twice. And those were critical plays. Oh, they critical were huge. They were on the, one was on the final drive, right? That was on that yeah. – was that, that for, uh, the, oh, yeah. the quarterback oh, keeper on that final drive? 100%. And obviously, oh. Mahomes ended up being the uh, – Leading rusher. Nine carries for 66 yards, 22 long, uh, which, you know, a lot of that was on Boza because that was his edge to protect. And uh, they – And now he's throwing his defensive coordinator under the bus saying that yeah. they weren't prepared for the option. Like, no, you were unblocked. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean they weren't prepared? They, you were unblocked. Well, you can't be talking about uh, unprepared. Come on, Bosa. 
Yeah, it's, this is going to be a really interesting offseason for your guy Kyle Shanahan because, you know, last year had an easy built-in excuse. Your quarterback got hurt, right? No yep. quarterback was out. Good point. Injuries had been a problem mm-hmm. uh, for multiple years. This one was healthy, and we said that going in, that he's healthy. He's had two weeks. He's got the right team. He's got the right quarterback. He's got uh, – you know, the pieces, and obviously in the end, it's that Patrick Mahomes again getting the championship. But now you fired your defensive coordinator. You're losing your assistant head coach, uh, Anthony Lynn, to the to the Washington football team. And yeah, you you've got some players talking too. So that's yeah, your players talking a lot now. Yeah, yeah even from the jump, players are talking right about what they didn't know, what they didn't know, yes. prepare, and it's like yes, a lot of yeah, you're right about it. that. Wasn't the case before. Mm-mm. You're right, players weren't chirping this much. Mm-mm. A lot of talk going. Well, on. and now I'll, I'll play it for you coming up, but. Um, you know, the, the audio, because NFL Films has all this mic'd up. And, oh, I already sent it to Ty. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, yeah, the audio of them when they when they decide to take the ball. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Chiefs were absolutely giddy when yeah. they decided to take I, the ball. Yeah. It's, uh, it's and, and if you see the – I saw someone with an up-close picture of Patrick Mahomes. He was shocked. He was, it, like, he was like, huh? Everybody was shocked. Oh, because he was kind of – you can tell he was disappointed. Well, we lost the toss. Damn. And then, and then he ran over. They gave it to us. They gave it to us. Nobody could believe it. Um, that, and how do you know you made the right decision, the wrong decision, when your opponent is happy about it, when they're giddy, thrilled, when they're when they're all of them are giddy about it? Then you know, okay, I must have screwed up somehow because they got exactly what they wanted. That's and, not what we wanted and, to get. And I think through all the dig deep dives, we discovered that Kyle Shanahan certainly knew the rule and still wanted the third possession. And you know that's analytics driven, Rod. And some you know analytics aren't always right. They can lead you to good information, but sometimes you just not. well the analytics department of the Kansas City Chiefs. I know they so had to inform them that they should go for two. Yes. When they score a touchdown. So you wouldn't have even gotten the third possession. I know. So the analytics still blows up in your face. I know. I just think ultimately, yeah, you can you can overthink stuff, right? Football's a simple game, complicated by simple men. And you can complicate it. And the complicated thing was you should have you should have taken you should have taken that opportunity, all right, to make and, but this is what analytics is about too. To make sure you have the most information to make the most informed decision. Well, you were you were working with with incomplete information when you take the ball first, because you give it to them first, then they score, and then you know exactly what you need to do. As you pointed out, then you have all of the information to make a better decision. That's why even analytically, your analytical, your data scientist should have been like, no, 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 give them the ball. We want them to have the ball first. Well, and I'll say this: we'll take and it after that. Whereas we're talking about Wayne Gretzky, Derek Jeter, Patrick Mahomes, when, when playing that guy. The, the the cardinal rule now moving forward has to be do not let him have the ball last. Do not. We what, Whatever our analytics department says, when we get inside the final two minutes, every decision has to be made that he will not have the ball last. Agreed. Exactly. Period. Yeah. That is, that is case closed. And that's for Josh Allen with two minutes to play in the ball. That's the, G, so, the Niners yeah. with two minutes to play in the ball. Agreed. We have the ball in our hand. He doesn't have it. We have – this is our game. We're not giving it back to him. That's got to make. It. That's got to be the precedent of every decision totally you agree. make. And that's and you know what? Getting back to that, to go even deeper, that's why that third down, where Brock Purdy misses the double slant on the hot route right when Trent McDuffie blitz yep. it. That honestly, that play, that play was huge. And I'm gonna get on channel number one because they should have had a money play ready to go. And that was not a money play; it was just a simple double slant. But by the way, double slant should have worked because Brandon Ayuk was right wide open as the hot route, and Brock Purdy just didn't hit him. Yeah. And to get into your point, us, you you should have been coaching to never give that guy the ball back ever. Even if you have to go for it on fourth down. Yeah, exactly. They should have been thinking that desperate, like, no, I'm not giving him the ball back. And I know you could have not gotten fourth down, and he gets the ball back. But at the same time. That's got to be your decision process against that player because, yep. as we talked about, it's you know seven for seven in those clutch drive scenarios. Oh, 
um, where the rest of the league is way under 50%. Um, and you're right. I mean, when I came in here Monday at 6 o'clock, that was the first point I made. That play, the two-minute warning play, mm. was the play of the game. I yeah. mean, it was, there were other big plays and Dre Greenlaw's oh, injury. As a matter of fact, yeah, I'm going to send that to Ty because they the NFL fan stuff is leaking out now, and it, it's it's just so good. It's great stuff because then you get like the, the – even the officials are making comments during the game like, you better have a nice play ready. That's what <laughs> – like literally, before I was sitting Ty, before that play, the ref goes – all right, this better be the money play for Shano. Everybody said it. I said it too. I was like, where is your money play, Shano? You need it. This is the one you have to have. We'll play the audio when we come back. It is great. And uh, Brock Birdie's got it to hit the hot reel. Oh, that. And, come uh, on, bro. Because obviously if you get that first down, you control the game, you control the clock, you have the ball, oh. it's tied, and you make them use their timeouts. I mean, all of a sudden you're in control of this game, and you can play out the scenario play it out. that 15 never gets the ball back, yep. never touches it again, you win this game. Josh Allen had a chance to do it too in Buffalo. Now, You're right, I remember that. Yeah. Now, You're they right. didn't have the lead. That was different. They were trailing. They were down 27-24. But still, going in and trying to get the game-winning score, potentially. Yes. You've yes. got to go score a touchdown here. That's just the, the level you have to play to beat that guy. I mean, that's just, it's, it's yeah. now fa- painfully obvious to all these quarterbacks that that's just how the game and these teams, that's how you have to think. You have to vanquish in the closing, Yes, in the closing moments of games. All right, we'll come back. When we do, we'll go uh, at the turn. We'll be halfway through our Thursday conversation. Rod will also take us behind the BOC. A little off the record coming. It's up with Ian Rodby. The Turn is presented by Callahan's General Store, helping to keep your yard in golf course condition year-round for 45 years. It's always a good day to make it a Callahan's day. Oh, man, good to have Tiger Woods back playing golf today and just talking about golf. It just uh, brings attention and certainly reminds you of his greatness. As we're talking about Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs rod and just how dominant they are. Can I mention this? So the last 15 seasons on this PGA Tour thing, players who led after the first, second, or third round, percentage of going on to win the tournament, okay? Okay. If you, for right now, last 15 years by any player, the percentage of players who lead after the first round who go on to win the tournament, 15%. That's pretty good. Second round, if they lead after two rounds, so, so uh, you know, they have the two, second round lead, 28.3. Okay. Third round, which is your 50 or 54-hole leader, 41.3, so just over 41%. In his career on the PGA Tour, Tiger Woods, when he leads after the first round, he wins the tournament 62.5% of the time. <laughs> wow. When he leads after the second round, he wins the tournament 85.3% of the time. Wow. And if he leads after 54 holes, Tiger wins the tournament 96% of the time. Damn. <laughs> that's, yes, that's, that's mind-blowing. Talk about success rates. Yes. Mm. Because, it, it, you know, it's a very even game, really, uh, golf. I mean, it's a couple strokes here and there. It's a couple putts so over the course start of the weekend. Start out like gangbusters. Yes. But, yes, I mean, staggering versus the the best in the world. That the best, amazing. the other best in the world. That is amazing. Uh, now, we don't know what Tiger is going to look like this week. And I, I did want to play this for you here in At The Turn. Brought to you by our great friends at Callahan's General Store. Looks like some more cold weather coming your way this oh, weekend. So be no. advised of that. No. Uh, I think there is. And I saw it this morning on the, the local news Damn that uh, there is some cold air. It's going to be warm today, Rod. Warm today. Temperatures in the 70s today. Oh, yeah. I don't mind that. But uh, that sunshine. close to a freeze over the weekend. Um, you know, 50s, nothing crazy. We're not, we're not going ice storm like we did after Valentine's Day three years ago, for oh, crying out loud. Please, no. But still get over to Callahan's General Store. But here's, here's uh, Tiger Woods when asked about 
um, a pathway back from the Live Tour back to the PGA Tour, how this works. Tiger Woods, of course, is on the committee of players that uh, kind of oversees the PGA Tour now. And uh, here's Tiger Woods when asked the obvious question about uh, players who have left the PGA Tour to go to Live. What is a pathway back for them? There's been a lot of debate recently about reunification in the game and, and kind of the best ways to do that. <clears throat> What's your opinion on a potential pathway back to the PGA Tour for Live players? We're looking into you know all the different models for pathways back, uh, what that looks like, what the impact is for the players who have stayed and who have not left, and how uh, we make our product better going forward. There is no answer to that right now. You know, we're looking at a very different, uh, varying degrees of um, ideas and what that looks like in the short term. You know, we don't we don't know. Um, we don't even know in the, in the long term what that looks like. Um, but uh, you know, trust me, there's there's <laughs> there's daily, weekly you know, emails and, and talks uh, about this and what this looks like for, you know for our tour going forward. There's been a right. There's Tiger Woods. More questions than answers at this point. Uh, they all kind of want it, what the reunification would look like, but we just don't know. Yeah, and it seems like they just don't want PIF to have too much power in this new collaboration. Right? They don't want them basically to be a monopolized decision-making because all the money is coming from one place. Yep. They want to be able to diversify the money uh, overall, and if they do that, they can kind of diversify – the power structure. Correct. Yeah. And that was the initial blowback was, yeah. wait a second, you're, you, know, you went from being against PIF now, they're going to own golf yeah. uh, all over the globe, which no one wants that. I don't care. I mean, that's. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And that's been the PIF and the Saudi funds stated goal. Now, they would say we just wanted to be a part of global golf, but, you know. Money talks. Money talks. So, and they have an endless <laughs> stream of that money. Yeah. And so, yes, I mean, everyone's trying to figure it out. I mean, we all want, I think, all the best golfers to play against one another. But we'll see. Not going to be the case here for, for, for a while, except in the majors, the majors where you'll have the Masters and U.S. Mm -hmm. Open and you'll have the best players gathering. But uh, this is a signature event on the PGA Tour. So, as we said in the headlines, nine of the ten top-ranked players in the world. Also, three Longhorns are playing this weekend. Scotty nice. Scheffler, uh, Jordan Spieth, Bo Hostler will all play in this 70-person event. And, of course, Tiger Woods. And I saw some uh, tailor-made golf put out some videos of his practice round from behind and had the tra track man. To He's hitting the ball pretty well, hitting the ball pretty well. The question is not his, his ability to hit the ball and score. It's playing 72 holes and walking the course. That's really what it comes down to for him. Pain tolerance. Pain tolerance, yeah. wear down tolerance. When, it's, when it swells up on him yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, Father, well, Father Time is undefeated. Yeah, well, especially when you Only just crash your car and yeah. do Navy SEAL training for most of your life. I mean, Tiger, Tiger Woods beat up his body really, really bad. Uh, he did. Yeah. Um, and he's he's playing for that. So he, he he's 47, but his body's like 57, 67, maybe. And he's older. supposed to age well as a golfer anyway, but not the way that he trained. Yeah. Well, and remember the when when he had the car accident after the Genesis Invitational several years ago. This was this tournament. You know, right? Always said it. We actually talked on the show to an orthopedic surgeon who said, "Look, there's one thing to break your leg, but so he he actually gave the example: take a piece of chalk that you oh. write on a chalkboard with, and if you just break it, you broke it." But then take that piece of chalk and hammer it with a with a hammer into pieces, into pieces like shatter it. Yeah. That's what Tiger did to his leg. So and he said and he talked about how to put that. How do you put that back together? Oh, I mean, how do you piece it back together? And even when you get it back together, how not, how stable is that's it? That's right. That's exactly that right. That, that's what he's dealing with. Oh. It, um, his his leg was shattered uh, in that car accident. <clears throat> 
when he hit the, the stump and rolled into the ravine. Hey, Rod, uh, that's going to wrap up at the turn. We'll be following the tour and the event through the weekend, hoping to see Tiger Woods play all four rounds. That'd be a lot of fun, or one yes, of these sir. lifetime Longhorns come win this thing uh, out there in Riviera, out there in Los Angeles. Uh, that'll wrap up at the turn. At the Turn is presented by Callahan's General Store, helping to keep your yard in golf course condition year-round for 45 years. It's always a good day to make it a Callahan's day. And they were all asking themselves the same question. What is behind that curtain? All right, I want to get into some uh, more Texas Longhorn football discussion as it relates to the guys who are at the Combine and some of these mock drafts that are coming out. I saw the uh, latest mock draft here from Pro Football Focus, and uh, they have a two-round mock draft they just put out there. And the highest Longhorn in their or highest Longhorn drafted in their two-round mock draft, no surprise, is one Byron Murphy. They have Byron Murphy going 13th overall. We talked about how he's been rising up draft boards. Uh, they got him going 13th overall to the Raiders. All right, to the Raiders. Matter of fact, he'll be playing in. If in this case, he'll be playing in Allegiant, where I was just in for the Super Bowl. Uh, they got him going to uh, the Raiders at 13th overall. Um, they talk about how cornerback is certainly an option, but uh, how. This really kind of a a surefire pick Byron Murphy is. You talked about this too, uh, E, that he's a guy that's going to start for you right away and probably going to play, you know, well past his second contract with a team. And he hadn't had any big injury concerns. He's coming out early. So youth is on his side. Uh, so Byron Murphy continues to rise up draft boards. I've seen him as – I've seen him in the top ten – uh, but most of the picks I've seen him have been around 15, and this would track with that, this being 13. And this has them as the, the third defensive player. Uh, they have Dallas Turner uh, as an edge player uh, taking in the top 10 here. Uh, the, that's the Alabama edge rusher. They also have uh, another edge rusher, Jared Verse, uh, being taken ahead of him. But in, other than that, they have him as third best, third overall uh, highly drafted defensive player. So that would be big for Byron Murphy. And that's right around where I think he has gotten uh, at least mocked in most of these mock drafts. Um, after that, they'll go outside of the first round. They don't have another Longhorn taken in the first round of this mock draft. Uh, they have the next Longhorn being taken off the board in the second round. A.D. Mitchell at 39 going, unfortunately, to the New York Giants. They don't have him going to a team uh, with a stable franchise quarterback. But they got him going 39 to the Giants. Remember I told you, if he actually runs a fast 40, shows he's got some top-end speed, he'll likely sneak into the back of that first round. If not, then he'll probably drop down to the second round is where a lot of people have him projected. Uh, in, this, in this particular mock draft, they have J.T. Sanders going next. They got J, which is kind of tracks with what you saw e yesterday. Seems like some of these mock drafts, JT Sanders are already starting to trend, um, and uh, and trend toward the top of the second round. Definitely gonna be the second tight end taken, but a lot of people got him trending toward the top of the second round, and maybe even and that mock draft that you brought up yesterday, he had him in the first round. That could be the case too. Uh, they got him at forty six hmm. overall to the Indianapolis Colts. Is where they have JT Sanders going. And I've been doing some research on JT because, man, I do believe if JT, J, I said AD Mitchell's got a lot to gain by the combine workouts because all of he runs a fast 40, they'll take him from a second round to a first round wide receiver. I think JT Sanders maybe have the second most to gain. Um, of, at the combine in terms of his workouts and how he can increase his draft stock. If he has workout numbers 
physical measurables that are comparable to a Brock Bowers. And Brock Bowers obviously has got you know, better film, and Brock Bowers has been the number one tight end for a long time. Brock Bowers will go off the board in the top five, uh, definitely in the top ten. Um, but it still could increase JT's draft stock because Drake, the closer he is to Brock Bowers and everything, the closer he is to Brock Bowers, um, the more likelihood that he'll be drafted higher, potentially high up in the second round, but even maybe um, late in the first round if a team wants to take a chance on him there because of his freakish physical measurables, there is a significant drop-off between the top two top tight ends and honestly between the top tight end, Brock Bowers, and JT, but also between Bowers, JT, and then the rest of that tight end class. So I've been doing some research. First of all, JT, 682 receiving yards. That was third among all tight ends. So he was third in receiving yards among tight ends last year. But his 22 receptions of 15-plus yards – tied for the most among all tight ends. So in terms of the explosive potential for tight ends, JT Sanders is just as explosive of a receiver as a Brock Bowers is. He's just not as physical and not as good of a blocker as Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers is considered an elite blocker, too. Sure. That is not JT Sanders' game. He's not an elite blocker. Um, that is something that is going to be coached up, and that will be obviously in his evaluation that he's not an elite blocker. But in terms of just their receiving ability down the field, there is actually not a huge gap between Brock Bowers, the receiving tight end, and JT Sanders, a receiving tight end. It's actually a blocking where there is a, a, a big difference between the two. I wouldn't look these up. So these are numbers of yards after the catch per reception. But take, a, take away the screen. So take the screens out of it. Yards after the catch per reception, screen numbers inflate those because yards after the catch after the screen, usually you know, you're getting whatever yardage you get on that screen pass, that's considered yak yards for you. Right? Um, you usually catch that screen behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage. So we took screens out of it. Take the screens out of it. And these are tight ends. I even brought Kyle Pitts into this category. If you look at yards after the catch per reception – Without screens being taken into account, Kyle Pitts, since 2020, has got the highest number. He was at six yards after the catch per reception, <laughs> minus screens. But then, who you know who's next? J.T. Sanders. Wow. He's at 5.8 yards after the catch per reception. Uh, Brock Bowers' round is at uh, – his highest number there is 5.6. So just getting – just looking at the impact of a receiving vertically a, ver- a, a, a tight end that can vertically challenge defenses and be a receiving threat down the field. I'm telling you, man, JT Sanders is right up there with Freaky Pitts in some of these categories. Now, Freaky Pitts at a whole other level. You take a look at receiving yards per game minus screens total. Kyle Pitts is at 96. Hell, Brock Bowers is at 54. Um, <laughs> JT Sanders is at 45. So big difference in, in the way they're utilized down the field and stretching the field. Uh, but JT Sanders, man, just – tapping the tip of the iceberg, if you will, on what he is capable of as a tight end. So Indianapolis Colts have him, at least in this mock draft, Indianapolis Colts are getting him at 46. Um, uh, Also in this uh, mock draft, they have Tavondre Sweat being drafted in the second round by the Dallas Cowboys, which actually does kind of track with Mike Zimmer, who wants to play more over uh, defenses. Um, the over defense, then between an over and under over is when you play four down linemen, except that three technique and the over technique. That three technique is toward the strength of the formation, toward the tight end position, uh, and I believe the under front is going to be away. So he, you know, that you know, he's a guy that's projected to be a nose tackle in the NFL. Remember the Cowboys just drafted one, Mozzie Smith, who was also kind of projected 
to be their nose. More and more, you're seeing interior D linemen get paid in the NFL. I brought up the fact half the highest paid defensive players in the NFL are interior defensive linemen. Um, that does track with uh, the Dallas Cowboys. They want to attack, or the at least they want to address, I should say, the middle of that defense. They did it. Once with Mozzie Smith in the draft, um, they're going to lose Leighton Vander Esch. They drafted DeMarvio and Overshone. They've been trying to address that rush defense, specifically in the central nervous system of that defense. Uh, Tomontre Sowell would help you do that. Right after him, they had the Green Bay Packers uh, in this mock draft, they had taken Jonathan Brooks right off the board, right after the Cowboys take Devontae Sweat. And there are a lot of Cowboys fans who I know have talked about uh, that being a sensible value pick for the Cowboys to get the top running back on the board when they need a running back desperately to get him at uh, to get him kind of a red shirt year. Cowboys have a lot of trust in their training staff, um, and they could bring in Jonathan Brooks, and he'd be a stellar pick for them. Um, but the Green Bay Packers, that fits as well. He's an excellent zone runner, and the Green Bay Packers run that Shanahan zone blocking scheme, and we know Matt LaFleur loves to stockpile running backs, really good ones, and that would be another uh, addition to that running back room, another Example of him stockpiling running backs. And actually, that is it for Longhorns in this Pro Football Focus mock draft. They do not have Xavier Worthy taken in the second round. That is shocking to me, actually. Um, considering I think the second round of the draft, I've been saying it, that's going to be your premier Longhorn round. You may or may not have a first uh, or a sec- first round pick uh, in uh, Byron Murphy. Um, I think he will, but based on most of the mocks. Um, but A.D. Mitchell has been on the verge of being drafted in the first, and then most of the time he's outside of the first. I think you're going to have four Longhorns potentially, Tavondre Sweat, J.T. Sanders, A.D. Mitchell, X-Man, and Jay Brooks. So I think you're going to have four. You could have as many as five. Longhorns taken in the second round alone in this draft. And once again, this mock draft kind of re- reflects that. I think Xavier Worthy would be a part of that group too. Xavier Worthy is not going to drop out, outside the top two rounds. There is no freaking way. I don't even know how Pro Football Focus justified that, actually. There's <laughs> no way he's, no like he's going to drop. they forgot him. It's like, what? Yeah, there's no way he's dropping outside. Some team will trade up to go get Xavier Worthy if he's, like, at the bottom 100%. of the second round. 100%. There's no way. Yeah. All right. Welcome back. Uh, when we do, we go off the record. As we mentioned, uh, Drew Bishop will join the show in the uh, top of the 9 o'clock hour preview of the Texas baseball team. Texas baseball season's around the corner Friday. They open up a series with the – uh, San, University of San Diego. So we'll San talk some big Diego. picture Texas baseball. Also some Big 12 thoughts with uh, Drew Bishop, former director of baseball operations down there in the baseball program. Uh, great knowledge of David Pierce and his team, new coaches. That'll be coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Took him up with Ian Rodby. D.D. Mega Doodoo. I'm sorry. Mangudu. Once it's turned on, the sign will spell out Deli Cat Essen. Well, well, I don't get a day break, man. It's cold. Well, congratulations. Continue good sex in, the, good sex in the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. And boom goes the dynamite. It's time for another edition of Off the Record. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. And thing sucks. Oh, it is off the record, and uh, used to have a segment we did called Where Are We At in Society Today, Ron? I got to ask the question, where are we at in society today? Two kids from Colorado just became the first college athletes to get Division I scholarships to compete in cornhole. Oh. Cornhole. Uh, Obviously, these cornhole prodigies from Thunder Ridge High School near Denver which apparently has a strong cornhole program. 
they, on National Signing Day last week, signed letters of intent to play D1 Cornhole for Winthrop University in the wow. state of South Carolina. Um, okay, first of all, I have no problem with uh, guys getting scholarships or people getting scholarships for, you know, a non-traditional sports competition, whatever it may be. But do people actually play cornhole like that? Do we have a cornhole? Like, Apparently. Industry leagues like that? Do we have cornhole leagues yeah, I, that you can compete in? I, I, I was the, unaware until this moment. The reason that – see, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with them doing, like, the e-gaming, like the e-sports um, scholarships because I know that's becoming a, a, a more of a, a common thing where schools are giving out scholarships for players who play e-sports because that is a growing industry. Talking about that's a multi-billion dollar industry. I mean, you got you know uh, NBA owners like Mark Cuban building esports facilities in their cities. The NBA has a draft <laughs> where they draft players who, who play uh, the game, who play the NBA game. Right? Um, that makes sense to me because I know it's a growing industry. I know they sell out venues, they sell out arenas, so people can watch others compete at esports. Do we are we selling out arenas? To watch people compete at cornhole? I, I see it on, like, ESPN Ocho sometimes. Okay, so see, there's a league then. I see my drunk buddies playing in the backyard quite often. Yeah. I, <laughs> I see them playing sense. at a tailgate party. Yes, of course. But, man, scholarships for it? I'm going to get me a scholarship. Uh, I don't know. D1, oh, nonetheless. D1 for Now, we do know that Ty cornhole. Henderson, our producers, uh, I'm sure, I'm assuming Ty is a world-class cornhole player. Um, oh, yeah. And when I was growing up in Ohio, they called it beanbag. They didn't actually call it cornhole. More of a uh, more of a washers kind of guy. Oh, okay. I knew it was one or the other. You're a washers. Do you like to play with the boards or on the on the? No, on the come dirt? on. No, no boards and washers. <laughs> no boards. That's PVC in the ground. Exactly. I, I actually built like I built my own washer. I mean, it's not not washer that it's pits. washer washer pit in my backyard growing up. So I, I got a lot of I got a lot of practice in. Okay, you were serious about it then. All right. But cornhole I'll competition? I'll play cornhole. No, I've cornhole watched, I've that watched there's cornhole teams on TV. Oh, when it comes on Ocho or ESPN, whatever number. Yeah, yeah. it's electric. Or it gets yeah. that time of year with football season over when they have cornhole and darts and things like that on television. Do people get scholarships for darts, too? I don't think so. I don't Probably know. Near. I don't know. That sport's been around longer than cornhole. At least the competition's been around longer than cornhole. Right? Or as long. What are we giving out D1 scholarships for foosball now? What are we doing? They give out D1 scholarships <laughs> for a lot of stuff I get. Like I said, eSports uh, to me, it makes sense because it's I a growing it. a, industry. I get that one. I also know that Ty's grandfather, late grandfather, was uh, went, to a, went to Oklahoma State on a bowling scholarship. There you go. Exactly. It's true. Good bowling scholarship, man. Bowling, that makes sense. But both their leagues, they're, you can become a professional bowler. Well, I'm telling I, you. The, this, the whole this, professional this. bowling system with, like, when you register, you're basically in the minor leagues at your local bowling alley. You can get called because they record <laughs> all your say. stats. That's how you do it. By the way, on that note, one thing <laughs> off the record, another Austin institution going away. Did you see Highland Lanes is closing down? It's too bad. <gasps> no, I didn't it's see that. great Highland Lanes. They're putting in, of course, a condo complex wow. right there at Burnett 183. So, really, we're, we're down to Westgate Lanes is the only I know, on school Wade bowling alley. Oh, that's by your boy, too. Yeah, Westgate. Don't they got some good food there? Lebowski about Westgate Grill. Lanes. That's good stuff. Okay. Yeah, somebody, people keep telling me I should go there and eat uh, at Westgate Lane sometimes. Yeah, well, what was the old school one over by the by uh, McCallum? Gosh dang it. Uh, Dart Bowl. Dart Bowl, Dart Bowl yeah. used to have the, the oh, enchiladas. Yeah. Enchiladas at Dart Bowl. Because it's greasy, man. It's a bowling alley. It's a bowling alley. Bowling alley. You got some good finger food. Yeah, come on, man. Oh. French fries and that kind of stuff. Get bowling, uh, yeah, bowling's always fun, too. Well, I guess people don't go bowling anymore then. 
Bowling's not a thing? Or, the, I mean, people still bowl because those places are usually pretty packed. It's just that land is so valuable. Yeah. So, I guess so. Uh, I, I don't know. There's not well, enough bowling going on in. That's right. Not enough to say. And, and, and all the new bowling alleys are always associated with like some kind of like bar or something where they're not regulation size lanes. And that, that really that's the only reason I don't play at the Union anymore on campus is because those those lanes aren't long enough. That is true. Yeah. Good what's point. the one over by Cover Three on uh, Anderson? That's called the high ball. High, high, high ball. Something like that. I've been to a yeah. few. There's some that, and they half of them have like half like the bowling balls are like half the size. It's it's. I don't know, it's a Come gimmick. On, I'm more. I'm in there for the competition. Yeah, well, I know there's a place down here between where we are in Onion Creek, down near near Kyle, called Evo. And Evo, and they've too. got bowling alleys. They got movie theaters, bowling alleys, game uh, room, food so bar. It's, yeah, okay, it's yeah. just an entertainment so, complex. One stop shop for everything. Yes, TVs, watch games. Whatnot. Yeah, no, bowling's a great. It's, it's something good to go. I know going on a date, a bowling is never a bad idea on a date. No. Yeah. So you got to put those damn shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I talked the talk. I went with my girlfriend for the first time recently, and of course, she's aware of my my you know my bowling career uh, and that I have like a bowling bag, a huge bowling bag. And we went, and she beat me in the first game that we played, and she never whoa, was, so. damn! And you brought your own ball. I cleaned up after. Yeah, I, I, I you know it's been a while since I've used my own balls. I had to I had to dial in a little bit. It's totally a thing. Have a few beers, you know, loosen up. That's true. Yeah, I'm better. The more beers I have, the better of a bowler I am. That is true. That's or maybe I just care less. That's like most bar sports, right? <laughs> Bowling, darts, pool, shuffleboard. Have a couple of drinks in you. A couple you. of drinks, you get Get a little better. loose. Get a little loose out there. Right. Um, how about this Taylor Swift effect? Uh, female viewership for the Super Bowl. Yeah. Ages 12 to 17, up 11%. And female viewership overall, uh, 47.5%. That is uh, the largest total audience uh, for women all time in Super Bowl viewership. Also, women ages 18 to 24, up 24%. They call it the Taylor Swift effect. Is that real? Or are we just giving her way too much credit? I think it's very real. You think it's real? 100% real. I think you're right. I think it is real, unfortunately. I think it's 100% real. Damn right. Uh, all right, we'll come back uh, when we do. Drew Bishop. Will-